You might be asking yourself how important SEO is to the visibility and the credibility of your brand. And is it just for bigger brands and bigger companies? But that's really not the case. I found a niche in, in my industry, and it's what your audience sees when they Google your brand name. And it's this wild, strange niche that's actually applicable to everybody, every person, every company, every film, every music album, every music group, every event, every podcast, every product. And when you have the head of the largest search engine in the world endorsing you, uh, then this is somebody that you're going to want to sit up and pay attention to. John Mueller, who's the representative for Google, um, front-facing um, for, for the entire SEO industry, said, uh, within Google, the knowledge panel is, for, it, for us, it's just an algorithm. Outside of Google, nobody understands more than Jason Barnard. So he's saying, basically, I actually know more than the people at Google, not because I know more than they do about their algorithms, but because I know how to manipulate the algorithm from the outside. That's my guest uh, this week, Jason Barnard. In fact, this is part two of the episode from uh, episode 82, uh, where we get in more into Google reviews and understanding more about the, the knowledge panel, the search engine results page uh, with Jason. And we also go a little bit into Jason's background and where he came from in terms of uh, punk rock, and a whole bunch of other interesting uh, parts of his history, all of which uh, you'll find when you Google him, uh, but it's not as much as what he's known for now. Uh, all that after the break. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. What You, you mentioned earlier about uh, five gold stars. How, yeah. how important does Google, well, what importance does Google place on, the, on reviews and things like that? An awful lot of importance. Uh, we talk about credibility. I mean, credibility is, is what we as humans understand. I like the word credibility, but Google talks about expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. And really simply put, expertise is what you're saying. Is it true? Is it believable? Are you accurate? Is it a reliable solution? Authority is what your peers say about you. Either what they're saying about you, whether they're sharing about you, or if they're citing you. Um, so it's peer approval. And then trustworthiness is client approval. So that's going to be forums, it's going to be social media, and it's going to be those review stars on reputable review platforms. Um, and one thing that is interesting is once, as with the knowledge, industry-specific review platforms are, even though much smaller than something like Trustpilot, the industry-specific platform will have more power as long as Google has understood that it's incredibly relevant to you and to your audience. What, what do you do about bad reviews? You reply to them. You take the conversation as soon as you can. Once you've replied to it on the platform, you take the conversation off the platform to avoid any back and forth aggressiveness. You sort the problem out if you can. 
Some people, you just can't sort the problem out and you just have to let it lie and that's it. And you just have to accept that bad review and try to get them to change the review to something more positive. Not necessarily five stars, but certainly less, uh, less negative than it was. Um, if they don't, don't fret about it because everybody gets bad reviews sometimes, both people and Google understand that. And I had a client and I said to them, we need to get loads of reviews. If we, if we want to rank number one for our product throughout France, we need to get loads of reviews. And they said, oh, but what if people give us bad reviews? And I said, well, if you think they're going to give you bad reviews and your service isn't very good, you need to sort your service out. <laughs> if your service is good, they'll give you good reviews. Um, and they started a campaign and that was four years ago. They got 27,000 reviews what? with an average score of 4.7. So they no longer have to worry even a little bit about bad reviews because, you know, they've got some one-star reviews. They replied to them. They sorted them out. They, some of them changed. Some of them didn't. But once you've got 27,000 reviews because your client service is that, is that very good, right? you don't have very much to worry about. And I think there was some research out there that said people don't believe five-star reviews no. anyway. So if you've got an average of 4.7 to 4.2 or something, yeah, then, then people believe that. But anything, yeah, less, anything less than that, they're kind of, uh, could be sketchy. Anything above that, no, it's, it's bots. Or right. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I've got a, a series of online courses to tell you about my other product. And one of the lessons is about review platforms and how to deal with them. And I mean, I've given you a lot of the advice just now for free, but mm -hmm. um, one, of, one of the things is that, is that anything under four, even 3.9 is no good. Once you hit four, you're okay. If you hit five, it's suspicious to everybody. Right. You're right, 100%. I mean, I see five stars and I think, nah. Right. Yeah, it's funny when I buy something online, I look at the reviews first before mm. I buy, and I'm, I'm scrolling down looking for the bad ones because I want right. to know there are some. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, and I, I think kind of as, as human beings, we want to have that five-star review because we don't want to say, ooh, um, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But the bad review makes sense. It's part and parcel of life. And also the bad reviews are what teach you what you can improve. If everyone's just saying how wonderful you are, because you, a lot of people filter the, the, the reviews that they ask for, they filter it through something to make sure they don't ask unhappy clients. You know, if you're doing that, then you've got a fundamental problem with the way you're treating your clients. Right. And the bad reviews should teach you what you need to improve. And I used to say this with um, Buwan Kwan, I can't remember why I was saying it with the blue dog and yellow koala, but... <laughs> Oh yeah, because we used to get loads of reviews for, for the, the paid service that we had on the platform. And I told my team, if somebody gives us a bad review and you can sort it out, you sort it out in one email, you make them one offer that they think is great, that person will actually like us more than the person who gave us the five-star review in the first place. And the fact that that review has changed from one star to five stars, Google sees that. Hmm. That's an incredibly positive signal. Great tip. That's it. Excellent. Um, that makes total sense as well. What about the type of content? Does Google differentiate and say, oh, well, that's a video and therefore <laughs> we're going to preference it or, you know, that's a, that's a podcast. So they must be an expert because they've been on a podcast or does it just say, does it look more about where that's housed? Yeah, well, it, it, it's actually a mixture of where it's housed, who's publishing it. Um, and the quality of the content and its suitability 
for Google's users. So what it tries to do is when, you, when you're searching, it tries to imagine which is going to be the best format. So, um, you know, I mean, a, a recipe would be a list. Uh, if I'm looking for the lyrics to a song, it would be the lyrics written on a, on a, on a, a web page. But if I'm listening, looking to listen to the song, it would be Spotify. So the format depends on the way the user wants to consume. And for example, on mobile, more and more people consume video as we get kind of more and more um, bandwidth and people are sitting on the train watching these videos. So video becomes incredibly popular. And from Google's point of view, it's saying which is the appropriate format for consumption by my user when they're trying to find the solution to their problem, whatever that might be. Right. I'm going to interrupt you a second and ask about the website, your website. Because a simple website shouldn't take months to get up and running for your business. Up in a Day builds professional websites fast with a process that requires minimal effort so you can focus on growing your client list, while Up in a Day takes care of building your website. Fast, easy, SEO optimized, and built to help grow your business. Check them out and book a consultation with them at www.upinaday.co. That's www.upinaday.co. Now back to the show. So when, when we're looking at that SERP page, that's why you see web pages, couple of videos, maybe a podcast, mm. maybe a, something else. Yeah. And if you look at my brand SERP, to come back to that, I and mean, you said my site's at the top, Jason Barnard, so that's my entity home. Then you've got my company website, calicube.com, if you want to do business with me. Then you've got Twitter, because I tweet a lot. Then you've got videos, because I've got lots of videos knocking, at, knocking about out there. Um, and then you've got LinkedIn, and then you've got my articles from Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Land. So what it's doing is it's saying the person who's searching for Jason Barnard is looking for ways to interact with him. Mm. And there are articles, there are videos, there are podcasts, my podcast appears as well. Um, there is his company if they want to do business with him. Plus, there's the knowledge panel that explains the facts as mm. we see them. And, and this... This approach could apply, you mentioned people and brands. I mean, it could apply, apply to your personal brand equally. Uh, yeah. So somebody that wants to be known as an influencer or build yeah. their brand that way, same thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the thing is, I found a niche in, in my industry, and it's what your audience sees when they Google your brand name. And it's this wild, strange niche that's actually applicable to everybody Every person, every company, every film, every music album, every music group, every event, every podcast, every product. So potentially, my tiny company in the south of France has literally 15 billion clients or 15 billion entities that I could be working on, probably more. Right. So uh, how did you end up in France? What was the... Um, uh, for, for love, actually, um, mm. fell in love with a young French lady when I was 17, she was 15, right? We exchanged postcards for five years. Wow. You can imagine I was living in Liverpool, the postman who was delivering the postcards must've been giggling his head <laughs> off with, uh, with these idiotic kind of teenage romance, uh, letters. Um, and then went to France because I was in love with this girl when I was 22 and she was 20 and I turned up at her, her house and knocked on the door and she went oh hmm 
pointed behind her and her boyfriend appeared right behind her. <laughs> but it, it, it was a, a, a love story gone wrong. Oh, dear. Oh. So <laughs> you, you never persuaded her to dump the boyfriend? She contacted me recently and, and said, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> but um, no, she's lovely and uh, I, I get on with her very well. And uh, I ended up marrying a different French lady. Right. Wonderful. And I was enjoying uh, the barking. Dogs. Dogs. Yes. I was enjoying the, such a great combo of punk and scar and kind of that. And yeah, it's very, I mean, pretty unusual to see a double bass inside a punk band. So, um, yeah, well, we were actually playing in the street and it was kind of, they were playing folk music with a bit of posy punk kind of attitude. Right. Uh, and then they said to me, if you want to join the band, you have to play the double bass. I was like, but I don't play the double bass. <laughs> they said, well, that's the only way you're getting in the band. So I bought a double bass and learned to play it so I could be in the band. Cool. Uh, and we ended up, and as you say, I mean, playing, we played the Ace of Spades, which is maybe the one you saw, uh, with mandolin, violin, double bass, and drums. And it sounds pretty punk. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw a couple of, couple off the playlist on YouTube that were the Ace of Spades, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. 100%. Um, it's, it's funny, actually, my brother was in a punk band and then, I didn't realize, but Motorhead had a big punk following. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was, I was a punk in uh, Yorkshire when I lived in the countryside. So I was kind of this, this punk with uh, the hair. Yeah. And the only, the only creatures there that saw me were cows and sheep. So <laughs> it was completely pointless. But I loved Motorhead. I mean, Motorhead were, were, were one of my faves. And yeah, you had this kind of big cult punk following for Motorhead. And all other heavy metal groups were just not cool. Right. Yeah, and my brother used to follow, and he actually got to know Lemmy. So he, oh, right. he, used, he used to get backstage if he'd turn up in you know middle of middle of nowhere in the UK and the Motorhead were playing, then he'd get in into the backstage and get on onto the floor. So oh, brilliant! Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, I'm terribly, terribly envious. <laughs> now, me too. He lived he lived the punk life. I just kind of followed it uh, surreptitiously by by his stories, but. Uh, Right. And, he's st and he's still a punk. He's still plays, still follows U uh, UK Subs was his big band. That he... I saw them. The leading game was called Charlie Harper, wasn't he? Yeah. And I saw them in the G-Boost in Paris when I got to Paris. Right. And I was maybe 24, 25. And it turns out he was pretty old. Yeah. I mean, like, I was 25. He must have been 45. I thought he was like this old man. Um, and relatively speaking, for kind of those punk groups, he was. I mean, he was he was a good 20, 25 years older than most punks. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I don't know if he's still singing, but the UK subs are still playing. Oh, right. Still, oh. My brother went out to, I think it was pre, it may have been pre-COVID, but he followed them around the West Coast of the US for a while. Cause he took two weeks off and just followed them. And, um, but on his 50th birthday, he was sitting at home and he got a phone call or around about his 50th birthday. He's got a phone call and it was the UK subs. And they said, what are you doing tonight? And they said, why? And he's, he said, uh, we're playing at such and such and we're down a drummer. Do you want to come and do a few lines? <laughs> and he ended up, he ended up drumming for the UK subs. Oh, um, brilliant. Because oh. so he, he knows every song. 
Yeah, and he played to side, I would imagine. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked him. Because if you don't, I mean, he didn't play the drums. I know the song, but I just can't play the drums, but I'll give it a go. Right. Uh, now, July, and we, um, I mean, all, all of those kind of stories, I love it because when we, when I was about 25, I mean, no, 28, um, with the Barking Dogs, we went and played in Germany and we supported Captain Sensible. Oh! And what? as a punk, you know, he's one of these great heroes. And I just remember kind of knocking on his dressing room door and he said, Oh, I've, I've got chicken pox. <laughs> and it might well have been he was just making that up because he didn't want some kind of fawning ex-punk coming up and kind of selling him how wonderful he is right yeah that's wonderful there's a you should get on a podcast there is a guy in the uk that does punks in pubs so it's an oh, in-person it's an in-person podcast but he interviews former punks over a pint of beer in a pub in wherever oh i could do that because i was an absolute <laughs> rubbish punk because i had the, <laughs> the 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 mohawk thing going yeah. on but I could never be bothered actually getting it to stick up to kind of flop down. So I, I looked like this kind of new romantic punk. <laughs> it was really weird, but with all the punk gear, but with this kind of floppy, yeah. no heating that never went up. So, yeah, my brother always, uh, egg whites, I think that's what he used to use egg whites and hairspray. That was, uh... yeah. Well, I, I did it from time to time when I went to a, a gig or something, I went to see the dead Kennedys. Of course, I, 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 I but just day to day, you think, what, what an absolute phenomenal effort it was and of course the only creatures who would have seen it were the cows and the sheep so it was pretty pointless <laughs> how can people find out more about your company and, and the products i'm actually changing my kind of um approach is that i was trying to get a lot of a, a long story but i i thought i could build caddy cube pro to be a SaaS platform anyone could use and i got some people i got a basketball player on uh, and he seemed to understand, and he's just totally fucked it up. And he threw everything in the in the um, basically he threw his entire digital ecosystem in the in the toilet. Um, so I now had to pick it back off him. Um, and so what 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 I'm now doing is we do a done for you service with the platform, and we work on the knowledge panel over three months. We do the brand setup and the knowledge panel, and it's and then we 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 basically sort out your entire Google business card, and we get you a knowledge panel um, built as it should be built and not with the cheeky tactics that some people use that are basically spam and Google will punish them. Right. The, the black hat stuff. That, yeah. That and then I'm, I'm going to record a course for that as well, because we have uh, basically the platform is either we do it as an agency or we have some agencies who use the platform and they play, they pay a subscription for the year and then they do the same thing we do, but they do it for their clients, white label. Um, and so, and then we have the courses and I'm about to record the knowledge panel course and the agencies that use the platform have to take the courses in order to be qualified to use the platform. Cause I've realized that, um, you know, I, I, I just think it's, I mean, I've explained it to you and you understand the principle of it right. and the principle of it is incredibly simple, but actually the execution I now realize is very nuanced and get it wrong. And the whole thing goes out the window right. and uh, the nuanced nature of it hadn't really struck me. And I now realize that um, it's a dangerous tool to be left in the hands of fools. <laughs> I just made that up. That's my new favorite quote. That's, that's your new tagline. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the Academy, you're not going to make that available generally. It's more yeah, for... No, no, no. It's, oh, it's you available generally. Um, you, you can come on and, and take the courses. I recorded them a couple of years ago in Kiev. 
Right. Um, and what's really interesting is two years later, I was we were we were redoing the some of the slides um, to to make it more engaging. I listened to the course and I was thinking, fucking two years down the line, and I didn't realize I knew quite that much two years ago. You know what I mean? Right. And I was thinking, this this all fucking makes sense. It all makes so much sense, and it, it it's well explained. And I'm pretty pleased with myself, as you can see. Go, Ooh, look at me. Um, <laughs> But what we're, what we're missing right now is the knowledge panel course. So I've set my August, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write it and record it um, because we've got a fundamentals course, a course for the rich elements like the Twitter boxes, the video boxes, and so on and so forth, and uh, um, getting rid of negative results, which right. is obviously online reputation management. Um, so we're going to add the fourth course, which is going to be knowledge panels. Um, and then the, sorry. And what's the cost of the academy? Um, it's 160 euros per course. So there are three courses right now. Hmm. Um, but Katrina is the person who deals with it. And then we've got a lady called Faith who actually runs the academy, uh, who deals with the students. And we've got quizzes and certification, that kind of thing that she's added. Hmm. Um, and it's a really good team. I mean, you've, you've talked with Joanne. Um, yeah, I, I really, really, um, enjoying working with this team. So, uh, I mean, what Katrina tends to do is say, if you buy three courses. Sorry, if you buy two courses, we'll give you the third one for free. Right. Right. Makes, makes sense. So your service, you mentioned the basketball player. So for a former athlete with that, yeah. you know, your service would be, could be really kind of beneficial, couldn't it? Because previously they're known as yeah the basketball player or whatever, but now they want to be known as X. Yeah, exactly. They want to change that, what we call entity identity. Mm -hmm. So they want to change what, how Google perceives them, was a basketball player, is now um, uh, an entrepreneur, but then he's going to have a business. So he wants a knowledge panel for his business as well. So, and, and the way that, as I was saying earlier on, if you've got a business and a person, we've got a famous person who runs a business. So we've got a leg up for the business, makes that easier. Right. And then we can change the person once we've, changed, once we've got the business going in Google's brain. So what you do is you say, I've got a famous person, hook the business onto it, push the business up here, and then put the basketball player into the business category and Bob's your uncle. I mean, that will take quite a long time because stuff like sport and music and films are very difficult to overpower. I'll bet. Because yeah. the, the, the weight of evidence is what's going to play, and the weight of evidence for basketball is going to be high. But what I learned with myself is that you can use the idea of a timeline to say to Google, this is actually now in the past. Mm. And that's, that's one of the tricks we play. Right. Yeah, it's just, the reason I ask is a little side piece of my business is I do personal branding for former athletes. Oh, right. It's, it's through a company. So they find me the, the clients. I don't... But they, they come to me because I'm the personal brand expert and I work with them in their initial brand uh, development you know, or, or recognizing oh, okay. what their personal brand is. But the biggest challenge they have is what do they do after sport? Because there's some crazy number like three out of five athletes are bankrupt within five years of leaving professional sport. Really? It's, oh, it's, yeah, they, they, oh. Well, they, they throw money at silly stuff and, you know, it's just... Or they get ripped right. off. They get ripped off by family, friends. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I mean, I, I was looking at kind of the, the potential for uh, athletes and for uh, film stars, whatever. And I, I was thinking, well, athletes—they're not—they don't need my services because I mean, I had one because he wanted to get rid of his wife on <laughs> on his knowledge panel. And what we did was build up what what I was saying earlier on his template 
And we said, which is the piece of information that Google would want to show? And we figured out from 100 uh, NBA players, it was, um, that it was the number, and the, the number on the back of his shirt and the, the salary. So we promoted those in Google's brain and got rid of his wife, not in a nasty <laughs> sense. But that's the only case I've had of a sports player, but a past sports player wanting to change identity. As I say, that, that would be a, 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 you know, it would be a bigger job than three months because of the weight of, um, the weight of evidence. But the, the trick is, is truly the entity home, explaining it, corroboration, and the, the huge trick there would be to make sure that you explain the timeline to Google. Okay, interesting. Because then you immediately put the basketball in the past. Right. And once you've done that, Google goes, right, okay, it's relevant, but it isn't the most relevant. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I'm going to keep it in mind um, because if that is, you know, I'm, I just finished some work with a uh, former NHL player. You know, he's got, he's got great stats. He went to the Stanley Cup three times, but right. that's, not, that's not who he is now. And he's been out of the game five, six years, but you look his name up and... That's all you right. see. Well, if he's doing something significant now, right. we, we can change that. But as I said, that's going to be longer than three months, but we can definitely change it. Um, uh, but you do need to have, to have something substantial, right. something that makes sense that, 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 you know, if he just said, well, I sit around on the beach all day drinking pina coladas, <laughs> no hope on earth we're going to get, you know. <laughs> his name and then lazy lay about on the beach as a subtitle. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, he's, he's trying to figure out, he's got two or three options, uh, which are all good. Um, but yeah, he's going to reach a point where he's going to need to have that. I think one of the things he can do is write a book. Mm. I've got a, a people who helped me with this book a guy called Scott Terman. We work in partnership as well. And he leverages books to move things around like that. So we actually work together. Um, he, he writes, or his team write, writes the book, and then we prepare the knowledge panel and the brands uh, whilst they're writing the book. And then we hit it basically very hard once the book comes out. And switching to author is relatively one of the easier things to do because of Google Books. And it's, it's funny, isn't it, how much a book still carries weight? Yep. Yeah. It's well, still that cre people, cre credibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, once your guy decides what he wants to do, you say, well, write a book about it, and you'll immediately have credibility and authority for people mm. and it will also tickle the right places in google's mind and um you know a company like bright ray publishing do a really good job of it um i'm i'm very pleased with, with what they did for me um and it is a really neat way to 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 move the needle on something difficult like music or i mean i moved from musician to author thanks to the right. book well i actually did it without google books because i wanted the challenge but um Switching from musician is difficult because there's so many databases about musicians. Right. And all of my records were up there and Boo and Kuala were musicians as well. Um, so if I can pull that off and it took me two weeks from the day we launched the book to switch from musician to author. Yes. That's the power of the, <laughs> that's the power of the entity home. I couldn't do that for anybody else because the entity home for Google, for me is so solidly stuck in its brain that, you know, what I did with CaliQ Pro was I changed it on my own website and then updated all of the different references to me within three hours. Wow. So, and that's because I just got the list in CaliQ Pro already. Just click on them and change it. Bingo, Bob's your own code. It took me three hours. And 70 uh, corroboration sources, all of which updated at the same time, 
So Google came to my website, saw Jason Barnard as an author, and then everywhere it went, it said, fuck, it's changed absolutely <laughs> everywhere. He must be an author, and it switched. Amazing. It's cool, isn't it? it is As I said, so cool. never get bored of this shit. And yeah, I was talking to my ex-wife the other day and she was saying, I was saying, oh, oh, struggling a little bit a few months ago, struggling a little bit with the business and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Uh, and she said, it's always the same with you, isn't it? You do it, <laughs> you push it to a certain point and you, then you kind of think, oh, and you get bored and you go and do something else. Um, and kind of, I was trying to convince her that this time brand search knowledge panels and Google as a child educating Google, this is something I won't ever get bored of because there's so much in it. And the idea of educating this machine that's running and learning faster than we can possibly imagine. And you think I'll never keep up and I know I'll never keep up, but that's what's fun. Right. Do you, do you think that's a little bit of a, a challenge for the kind of serial entrepreneur? Or, or following your passion is that you you end up getting into your passion and then after a while it does become less of a passion because it becomes kind of repetitive and therefore that you tend to go, oh, well, maybe that wasn't what I truly should be doing and I look for something else. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it can be a problem. For me, I've been lucky and it hasn't been a problem because, I mean, being in a punk folk band, you never get bored of that. And music <laughs> right. is something, however much you play, you never master it. So you're always learning. And then the Blue Dog and the Yellow Koala cartoons, um, that could have got repetitive. But then when you're saying every single episode of the TV series we made, for example, every single month on the website, we were doing something that made sense to a small child in their day-to-day -day life. And when you look at a child's day-to-day -day life, it's endlessly interesting. There's endlessly new things to, to do and to see. And you're just thinking anything we put in here, is going to be interesting for the kid. And it's, it's incredibly interesting. And I found it deeply, passionately um, enjoyable to create these simple scenarios and games and songs that kids can relate to. And the whole thing of kind of bringing it all down to that, we're not teaching explicitly, we're presenting something to you that you know, but you don't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. And we're presenting it in a way that makes sense. Right. And that is endlessly, endlessly interesting for me. And now brand SERPs and knowledge panels and educating Google. Somebody asked today which social media platforms appear in, in the knowledge panel on the right-hand side of Google search results. And of course, I've got a database with 200 million data points in it. And I just went in and went, ooh, and I pulled it out. And the answer was 28% Twitter. And somebody said, oh, what about TikTok? And TikTok was like 1.38% for people. and 0.7% for companies. And for me, that's endlessly interesting as well. Hmm. That is fascinating. So was, tw was, tw was Twitter the top thing? Top yeah, tw Twitter's top in, in knowledge panels mm -hmm. uh, for people, but LinkedIn, it's top in knowledge panels for companies. That makes, that makes some sense. I could see. It does. And a lot of what I say to people, they go, yeah, of course, that's really obvious. <laughs> and then you go, it was, only, it was only obvious after I said it. It wasn't obvious right. before. And then somebody said, what about different industries? And I said, well, I've got the data in the database, but then that's the paid SaaS platform where you come on with your industry. And that's where you, we give you that additional value. I can tell you for companies it's LinkedIn generally, but in the real estate industry, maybe it's something else. I don't know. I haven't looked. Right. Right. And that's, and that's the beauty. That's the uniqueness that you've got around this knowledge panel that you're, because you're, you're building a, an evolving database all the time because yeah. it could 
So three months time, TikTok could be 2.5%. Somebody asked that. So I look back a year and it's mm -hmm. 1.38% now and it was 0.7% a year ago. So, um, and the database goes back five years. So I can actually pull all this data up and say, this is how it's evolving. This is how things have changed. The other thing we can do that I really enjoy is uh, templated brand SERPs and templated knowledge panels whereby if you give me 70 equivalents of your entity, so the same entity type, person, company, music group, whatever, um, in the same geo region, in the same industry, so example, if you gave me 70 punk bands, right. I could template for you both the brand SERP and the knowledge panel for a punk band, which would be different for a punk band than it would be for a, you know, a, new, a new romantics band or a, or a dance band or a techno band. So, uh, and I love that idea, and, and this is part of the Kali Cube Pro SaaS platform, is we template, so we say, this is what you're aiming for, globally speaking, obviously. This is what Google likes. This is what your industry looks like. That's where you're headed. No, no, it could work, because it's, because you're not gaming it, but I mean, you're leveraging it to the absolute degree that you can. Yeah. I'm educating Google's, the child. And, then, and the engineers at Google are always figuring out, how can we change that? How can we... Right. No, well, in fact, uh, John Mueller, who's the representative for Google, um, front-facing um, for, for the entire SEO industry, said, uh, within Google, the knowledge panel is, for, it, for us, it's just an algorithm. Outside of Google, nobody understands more than Jason Barnard. So he's saying, basically, I actually know more than the people at Google, not because I know more than they do about their algorithms, but because I know how to manipulate the algorithm from the outside. I got invited to New York to speak at a knowledge graph conference. And I said, why the fuck do you want me? I don't know anything about knowledge graphs. I've never built one. And they said, exactly. You're the only person we've ever heard of who <laughs> changes and feeds knowledge graph from the outside without having any access to the algorithms and the data. Wow. And so I kind of, you're going, wow. All of a sudden I'm going, Ooh, I'm doing something original and interesting and, you know, pretty tricky. And I was right. talking to the guy at Google because I managed to trick uh, Google's NLP to understand Jason Barnard is a Grooty Poo player. <laughs> and it understood that Grooty Poo player referred to me. Um, and Grooty Poo doesn't exist. I made up the word. And then I was going to invent this musical instrument called a Grooty Poo. And I was going to invent this entire story <laughs> and, have, and have a knowledge panel for the Grooty Poo and this this... And I had the whole story. It was that it's called a Grooty Poo because it was a reed instrument in Mauritius. And when you blew in it, it went kind of like poo. And then the Grooty was great in the Mauritian vernacular. And I was talking to him and he said, yeah, if you want to do that experiment, don't tell anybody because you actually have a responsibility um, because in the wrong hands, that could go horribly wrong. And he's right. That there's a... That he, I could do that. And he's saying, I'm sure you could do it, but <laughs> if you do do it, don't tell anybody because, you know, and I actually had people ask me, can you invent a human being? Because I want to hide, basically, I'm doing something illegal. I want an invented human being to hide behind. And immediately people are thinking, oh, that shit. And you can't get, yeah, that, that would get dangerous. Yeah, I could see there's, there's always going to be somebody trying to figure out the, the worst way to use it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm one of the nice guys, and I'm yeah. terribly innocent. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm naive and innocent, and I need people to tell me to grow up. <laughs>
How can people find out more about you, Jason, more about your company and, and the products? I'll bet most people can guess what I'm going to say right at this moment. <laughs> you search my name on Google and then the Google business card gives you the choice of how you want to interact with me. That's what I like about the Google business card. So you search my name and you think, I'm interested in Jason Barnard as a human being. Click on the first link, my website. I want to do business with this guy. Click on the second link, kellycube.com. Uh, I want to interact with him on Twitter. Go to my Twitter account, which is third. I want to take Jason Barnard's courses, caddycube.academy. That will be up there. I want to buy his book. That will be up there as well. I want to read his articles for free. Uh, <laughs> search engine journal, search engine lander there. I want to listen to his podcast. The podcast boxes are there. It's up to you to decide how you want to interact with me. If you enjoyed that episode of the Personally Brandtastic podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you went along to Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. And if you don't already follow and subscribe, I'd love it if you join us. Catch you next time on the Personally Brandtastic podcast.